The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We started a series last week called The Mago Day, The Image of God. And we talked about how God has created the crowning point of God's creation. The crowning achievement was making man in his image. And we are to therefore to resemble and represent God in all that we are. And so uh, since we are that and we recognize because we're all made in the image of God, the reality of it is we have high regard and total dignity for people of every gender, every race, every ethnicity, socioeconomic background, cultural background. And also that's why we respect life, life in the room, life at the end of the womb and that's why we are respecter of life at all times. This week, we talk about men. So uh, guys, uh, you're going to get your medicine. Make sure you bring your wives back in two weeks. I'll be talking about women. So this week, manhood shattered. Next week, we'll put us back together as dudes, and we'll talk about manhood redeemed. Then we're going to talk about the shattering of women, and then we're going to put women back together in women, womanhood redeemed. So guys, get their medicine today, women in two weeks, and uh, nobody will be here the week after but me. So that's the way it works. Be a man. Be a man. Every one of us who are dudes have heard that. Be a man. Suck it up, buttercup. I mean, there's no crying over spilled milk. Uh, be a man. Take your medicine. Be a man. And it goes on. What does it mean to be a man? I mean, what does that mean? Uh, David is dying and he tells his son Solomon uh, this. I'm off. I'm sorry. He tells his son Solomon this. He says, as David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I'm gone the way of all the earth. Be strong, Solomon. Show yourself a man. Solomon, be a man. And then Paul, writing to Timothy, his spiritual son, says this in 1 Timothy 6, but flee from these things, you man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness, you man of God. So David tells his son Solomon, be a man. Paul tells his spiritual son Timothy, be a godly man. He ups the ante a little bit, be a godly man. And then there's a place in history, this is uh, the burning of the stake of two men, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. They were both bishops in England when Queen Bloody Mary came into power. They would not compromise on salvation by faith in Christ alone. And so she threatened them with their lives. They went to the stake as martyrs. And as they were about to be burned up, Latimer turned to Whitley and he said, show yourself a man. We shall be a candle, candle lit on fire to bring revival to Britain. Be a man. What's it mean to be a man? There's a lot of confusion out there right now about what a man is. How do you be a man? Is it because you can hunt? Because you can fish? Because you can shoot a gun? Because you've been born with male body parts? I, I've got five grandsons. The oldest are 10-year-old twins. The youngest is almost two. Uh, they have male body parts. They aren't men. They're boys. What makes a man? We all know 45-year-old boys. You know that guy? You, you know that 45-year-old boy? He'd walk around with a letter jacket. If you're in your letter jacket today, <laughs> you're going to go slinking out of here like two guys did last hour, okay? I mean, like, oh, Pastor Gary, you called me out. <laughs> we know 45-year-old boys. We also know 18-year-old men. We know 18-year-old men have fought for their country. We 18-year-old men who've lived up to their responsibilities. You know 18-year-old men who, who are that way, 45-year-old boys, 18 year What makes a man? What makes a man? When I turned 60, I wanted to join the 300 club. That's not 300 pounds, okay? 
I wanted to join the 300 Club. When you lift weights, the 300 Club is benching 300 pounds. And so two years ago, when I turned 60, it's my 60th birthday in the gym, uh, my partner snapped a picture of me, and then I popped up 300 and 305 pounds four different times, just boom, 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 four times. Not boom, boom, boom. I was like, ah, oh, ah, oh, oh. And, and, you know, does that make you a man? I, I, I lifted 305 pounds at 60 years old. Most of you dudes can't lift 300 pounds and you're 18 years old. Does that make you a man? Does that make me a man? Let me tell you what, you want to know what happened after this? I had tendonitis so bad right here. I mean, so bad. Literally, I had to start taking medicine. Then I had to go see a doctor who wanted to do surgery on my wrist. And I'm thinking, I'm the biggest wimp around. And then that Sunday, I've got to be honest, I was really prideful, really prideful. So second hour, Mario and Marlon were here. They sat right where you guys are in the dark over there every day at 930. I texted them last night and said, hey, boys. Hey, hey, I didn't call them boys. I said, hey, dudes, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you in my sermon tomorrow, so be ready. And so that Sunday after I did this, I walk in and Marlon and Mario are lifters. They've got a gym in their business. And uh, I went to them and I said, uh, I got to show you something. So I popped that picture up on my phone. And Mario said, boy, come see. Talking to me. And so I walked over there and he said, I need to show you something. Marlon, he turned 55 this week. You want to see what he did? Yeah, I want to see what he did. 500 pounds on the bench. (laughs) 500 stinking pounds. I I, I crawled to my seat over here, sat next to my wife and didn't say a word the whole rest of the service. I, I felt like a wimpy little boy at that point in time. What makes a man a man? The bench pressing 300 pounds? Mar- they, Mar- Marlon and Mario are here last hour. I said, does that make you a man? And I said, I- I'm not going to refute it if they say it does. Believe me, those are big dudes. So what, what makes a man? Is it because you can hunt, because you can fish? What makes a man? What is the biblical concept of manhood? Because we live in a society where that's all jacked up. We live in a culture where men don't know what it is to be a man. Women don't know what it means to be a woman. There's gender confusion, gender identity issues. And it's just a mess. It's a mess. Um, Stu Weber wrote these words. The gender issue is not primarily a political issue, though it certainly has tremendous political impact. It's not a social issue, though it affects society at its very foundation. Neither is it an economic issue, though it has great economic ramifications. Not even primarily a sexual issue, though sexuality is a central element. The gender issues facing us today are primarily spiritually and theological in nature. I mean, that's the core of what it is. Gender is often the first question we ask at a human birth. Is it a boy or is it a girl? Incidentally, have you noticed, no one ever asks, is it a male or is it a female? We're not looking so much for the child's sex as we are the child's identity. Gender is at the heart of creation. Gender is tied to the image of God. Gender is central to the glory of God. And that's precisely why the armies of hell are throwing themselves into this particular battle with such concentrated frenzy. Satan would seek to confuse us about who we are and what we are and how we get to where we are. Confusion abounds. And for my young people, a lot of you, how many of you college kids over here? College, look at that. Man, thank those college young people for being with us today. I mean, there's a bunch of them over there. I mean, you've grown up in a culture, you've grown up in a society, you're my millennial generation, you've grown up in a college society where there's confusion out there. And, and you may not be confused, but you have a lot of friends that are, and hopefully this is helpful for you to speak to them. And so what we recognize is there are a lot of battles out there. There are a lot of battles. What makes a man a man? I mean, what makes, a, what makes a man a man? In our culture, there's so much confusion. that the, the crowning achievement of God's creation was God making man in his image, Imago Dei, the title of this whole series. But something happened. It's called the fall. 
It's when Adam and Eve sinned. And when that happened, manhood and womanhood were shattered. Not destroyed, but shattered. And that's why you see these two cracked pots up here. It's an image of what man and woman, what men and women look like today. We have been shattered, but we haven't been destroyed. And so today I'm going to talk to men. And so ladies, you can eavesdrop on our conversation. And uh, I'm going to talk to married dudes and single dudes. And uh, ladies, come back in a couple of weeks and we'll address you. Next week, we'll put men back together. The first thing I want to remind you of, Satan's strategy was to separate man from God and man from woman. Satan's strategy, Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bibles or however you read digitally on your phones, on your pads, whatever you have, Genesis chapter 3. God's, God, Satan's strategy was to separate man from God and man from woman. That was a strategy, and he was quite successful. He was quite successful. The story begins in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a serpent who was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. That is not exactly what God said. Okay, she's adding to you what God said. Note that. And the serpent said to her, in verse 4, You surely shall not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So this begins the fall. This is the temptation. Satan's strategy to separate man from God and man from woman. By the way, let me remind you, the enemy is not your husband. The enemy is not your wife. The enemy is not your kids. The enemy is not your pastor. The enemy is not your small group leader. The enemy is not your neighbor. The enemy is Satan. Paul reminds us of that in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, when he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers' powers, for forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Too often we confuse one another as the enemy. We're not. Satan would seek us, seek to destroy everything between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, between man and God. And he's been quite successful in accomplishing his purpose for millennium. And so that's the ground rule we want to establish early on. Well, the fall in men, the fall in men. I I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid, I was a short, chubby, ball-headed kid. When I was a little kid, sat in a Sunday school class, and the teacher talked about the fall and talked about Adam and Eve sinning. So what did you have in your mind when you heard that Sunday school lesson? I'll tell you what I had in my mind. So in my mind, I mean, I read the same account you just read. I'm, I'm a little kid, maybe eight, nine, ten years old. I can't remember. <clears throat> so I read that account, and I'm getting ready to hear it in a Sunday school class. And in my mind, this is what I picture. I, I picture this beautiful place, this luscious garden with all this stuff they can eat, this one tree in the middle that's the greatest temptation. And so every day you walk by, you look at the tree, and you think, I'd like to have a bite of that, but I can't do it. And so you focus on that rather than everything around you. That's my first thought. Next thought is, I guess one day Eve was all alone. She walked in the garden, and and Adam was back at his cave or back at his uh, lean-to or back at his tree house, whatever he's living in. And he goes back to, he's he's still over there. He's vegging out. He's just hanging out. He's watching a football game or something. 
And, and so, so he, he's back at, at the man cave, and, and Eve is in the garden, and this serpent appears to her where they're standing next to this tree. And, and in my mind, the scripture doesn't say it's an apple, but, you know, I'm a kid, so I assume Eve reached up. She took the fruit, which was an apple. How many of you thought when you were kids it was an apple? How many of you still think it's an apple? Scriptures don't say that. And so Eve partakes of the apple. She bites into it. This is me thinking as an eight-year-old. And then she goes back to the man cave, finds her man, and says, you're not going to believe how good this is. You've got to taste it. And he partakes. Let's start studying the scriptures. It doesn't take place that way. In fact, here's an amazing thing. If you look in your Bibles at the next verse in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at how Adam was passive in this, verse 6. Look up on the screen with me. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. I want you to read the rest with me out loud. Let's go. And she gave also to her husband. Whoa, stop there. Her husband where? Where was Adam when Eve partake of the, partake of the fruit? It's amazing. It, and I, I mean, I think a lot of us have glossed over that in the years. He, he was with her. And if you don't think that's proof enough, let me have you look just a couple of verses earlier. When, when the serpent spoke to Eve, in ver, or when the serpent spoke rather, in verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. The word you there, you shall surely not die, is plural. It's not singular, it's plural. He's speaking to Eve, but Adam is right there. You shall not die. He's not saying you singular, he's saying you plural. And then you look at the next verse, verse five, for God knows that in the day you, plural, eat from it, your plural eyes will be open and you, plural, will be like God, knowing good from evil. So when you look at the scriptures, what you see is that Adam was right there with Eve. And I look at that and I say, come on, Adam, come on, really? I mean, why didn't you man up? Why, 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 why didn't you step up and say, hey, when Satan said something that God didn't exactly say, and Eve said that, why didn't you just correct him? Why didn't you say, that's not what he said. Because Adam, when that revelation was given, it was given to you before Eve was even created. Look at Genesis chapter 2. See, Adam was given that instruction on what they could eat and what they could not. Eve wasn't even created yet. And Adam's passively standing there. Hey, babe, whoever eats this is going to die. You take a bite first. <laughs> I mean, he didn't say it, but that's what he did. Am I right? I, I mean, I, I look at that and say, come on, be a man. How come you didn't say something, Adam? How come you didn't step up, Adam? How come you protect your wife, Adam? You were with her and you ate. Larry Crabb is a Christian psychologist. He's been around for a long time. He's in his 70s. And uh, he wrote a book called The Silence of Adam. The Silence of Adam. He talked about how Adam was passive. And so I combined some of his thoughts with some of my thoughts. And uh, his thoughts are a lot deeper than my thoughts. But when I started thinking about this, I thought, so what are the areas where we as men, as dudes, are passive in? Where are we passive? And, and I'm going to pop three things up. But here's what I want to say at the start. This isn't true for all dudes all the time. I'm going to show you three areas where men tend to be passive, where I think the Imago Dei has been broken, where, where I think because of the fall and the image of God, we become passive men in three areas. And now, some, some, of these, some of you guys, man, you're engaged in all three areas, some of you two out of three, some of you one out of three, some of you batting zero right now, okay? But, but, I, I mean, but I, here's the other thing. I want you to look around this room. If you're a dude, I want you to raise your hand. 
dudes. Hi. I got one eye. I can't see too good. Okay. Raise them high. In fact, today started terrible. You can put them down there. Today was a terrible start to the day. I'm walking from the Creekside building to over here. I get to the doors. I had a, I had scratched something right there. My eye fell out right there in front of about three people. They're in the Scott and White emergency room night right now getting help. I mean, it's like, geez, pick up your eye off the ground and stick it back in. They about passed out on me. I can show you if you want one day. But. So, so where are men passive? Where are we passive? Here's number one. We are pa- Oh, by the way, this is using commentary on Genesis. Eve followed the snake. Adam followed Eve and nobody followed God. That's a great statement. That's a summary of what happens at the fall. So the first area we as men are passive is communicating, communicating. So ladies, your husband comes in at the end of a day. He's been gone eight to 10 hours, 12 hours. He, he, has, he, he, he runs an organization. He's got people working for him. He's seeing patients. He, he does all this stuff for eight to 10 hours. He walks in the house. You ask a simple question, honey, how was your day? And his answer is, ladies, his answer is fine. And what else does he say? Ladies, what does he say after that? Nothing. That's exactly right. And, and, and so, so, so you say, honey, did anything unusual happen today? Was it just a normal day? And he says, what's he say? Come on, ladies, talk up. He says, no. And what does he say after that? Nothing. So this guy who was this wordsmith at work all day long becomes a mute when he hits the door. Can I get an amen from you ladies? You should be clapping right now. I mean, two ladies clap. I'm not going to receive that. You guys are, t- come on. Yeah, there we go. Too late. It's too late now. Don't do it. It's too late. It's too late. In two weeks, the dudes will be clapping, giving me standing ovations when I talk about you. Okay? I mean, but here's what I mean. we tend not to be the best communicators as men. We, we do all this. One guy told me one time, psychologist tells us we have ten to 15,000 words a day. I don't know if that's true or not. He said, I use all mine at work. That's why I don't talk at home. So how's your marriage, dude? I mean, really. Communication. I mean, one of the greatest things we can do is learn to listen, learn how to communicate. You guys, many of you know our story, many of you don't. Bev and I, after three years of being here at TBC, I mean, we're walking with God for a number of years. We hit an impasse. I thought I was a great husband. I was not. I was not. The thing I didn't do is listen to my wife's heart. I was not a good listener. I was not a communicator. I did it all day, listened to people's issues all day, did all that stuff. I came home, and I loved playing with the kids. I loved helping around the house, but... She wanted me to have a heart. She had, you know, you can hire somebody to clean the house. You can do all that, but she wanted my heart. And so we, we grew distant. By God's grace, we are not a statistic. We could be one of those pastors whose husband and wife broke up and, and, and divorced and everything else, but God saved us. Doesn't mean that we didn't have problems. The Imago day in me was broken. And, I, and I'll own that. It was broken in me. I thought I was caring for my wife, and I wasn't. I wasn't unfaithful to my wife sexually, but I certainly wasn't loving on her the way she needed to be loved. I was not listening to her. I can look at you right now and tell you she's my best friend. She's my lover. She's a person I want to be with. We had dinner last night, just the two of us. It's just a great time. I love being with that woman. But there was a day when she took a handful of pills, and there were more pills in that bottle. She would not be sitting right there right now. And it's because I, didn't, I was not loving her the way that she should. That reaction is a wrong reaction. She'll tell you that it was sinful and wrong. But the reality of it is, I was not the man I was called to be before God. The Imago Dei in Gary DeSalvo was broken. Broken. And a lot of it, guys, was because I was not communicating with my wife. A lot of it because I, I didn't listen. I, I mean, I'm a leader, and so I'm, you know, solving her problems rather than listening to her problems. 
And uh, by God's grace, we're here today, by God's grace alone. That was 32 years ago. 32 years ago, by God's grace, we're here. And I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to tell you, when your wife would rather be dead than married to you, that's a problem. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist, which I am not, to figure out. And so we went and got help, and God helped us. So if you're struggling right now, don't be afraid to get help. You email me, we'll get you help. We'll get you help. I love what uh, Ruth Bell Graham said about Billy Graham. She was asked by a reporter, she ever considered divorce. She said, divorce never, murder often. <laughs> we struggle in communicating. So even when we work on it, sometimes we struggle. I mean, I, I've got ladies say, he won't listen to me, he doesn't talk to me. If we talk about anything, it ends up being an argument. We can talk about the weather, we can talk about the kids, we can talk about the cowboys, but nothing deeper than that. And if the cowboys lose this afternoon, you can't even talk about the cowboys. So even when we work on it, we struggle. There's a couple that struggling in their communication and their marriage, and so they decided to go to a marriage seminar. In the middle of the seminar, the guy up front said, uh, uh, here's how you, you need to be able to understand one another. Here's a good, for instance, most men don't even know what their wife's favorite fa- flower is. And so he said, I want you to turn to your wife, and I want you to share with her what you think her favorite flower is. So I'm going to do a little test right now. Okay, You've got a wife or a girlfriend with you? I want you to lean over, and I want you to whisper, and I'm going to watch you what her favorite flower is. I'm watching. I'm watching. Bob, say something. I'm watching. Every dude out there, I'm watching you. Joe, did you do it? Okay. You teach marriage? Okay. You're with me? How many of you guys got it right? I want the wives to raise their hand. The wives to raise their hand. Not your... That's it? Oh my, we need a marriage seminar here. Look at you guys. That's like 5%. You know what this guy said at the seminar? He's asked what, he leaned over to his wife and said, I think it's Pillsbury all-purpose, isn't it? I bet that was a happy night at their house. I kind of like the answer, actually. Food and flour and all goes together. But anyway, guys, we struggle in the area of communication. Make sure you communicate. Communicate. Talk. You know, we, we had dinner last night, and uh, we don't do it often. We love to be with people. We have people around us a lot. But just the two of us, man, we had a great time just talking. Talking about life. Talking about feelings. Talking about you. Talking about ministry. Talking about everything God's done in our lives. Talking about her. Question me, what's your favorite all-time meal? Man, I could have gone on for three hours on that. Something you cook, babe. That's the best answer, right, guys? Something you fixed. I wish I'd have said that. I'm just thinking of that right now. I shouldn't speak. It's a stream of consciousness. I got to stop that, okay? I got to go back to my notes. Hang on. How many of you guys still date your wives? I, guys, don't raise your hand. Wives, how many of your husbands still date you? Let me see your hands. Ladies? Wow. Same guys that knew what the flower was. That's about it. Well, what happens to us? We, we quit doing that, which is so, so important. You know, one of the things we did, we couldn't afford to go out. We'd go to Temple Lake Park, watch the sunset and talk. We couldn't afford to go out to eat in the early years. We, they, there were times where we just, she was so creative. And you've got to date. You've got to go out. You've got to spend time talking. I love the story, and you've heard it before uh, if you've been here for a while. Farmer and his wife lying in bed. Tornado comes. Roof is ripped off the house. They end up in the field. They're still in bed together. The woman's crying uncontrollable, the farmer uncontrollably, the, the farmer turns and says, wife and says, are you okay? And she says, yeah. 
said, why are you crying so much? And she looked at and said, that's the first time we've been out together alone in 25 years. <laughs> you know, for some of you, that's true. Some of you, it's true. And shouldn't be laughing so hard. Second is parenting. We tend to be passive in our parenting. We tend to be passive in our parenting. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, there are some men in here, some of the best dads that I've seen in the whole wide world. And you should clap for them right now. I mean, they are. There are some dudes here engaged in the lives of their sons and daughters who are little, engaged in their lives and sons and daughters who are adults. I mean, I'm amazed. I praise God for godly men in this body. Some of you engaged, some of you are not. Some of you are not. So those that are, are engaged, I commend you. For those not engaged, I condemn you. I say before God, that's a responsibility you've been given and a privilege you've been given. And I pray that you're responsible. You know, as a guy, it was easy for me to relate to my son. We'd grab a ball, we'd go out and throw, we could talk while we're throwing, go to a Rangers game, go, to, go, go see UMHB or go see uh, Bale. Somebody play, watch LSU on TV. Every time they came on, we could have conversations. I had to work into my daughter's world. It wasn't easy. So I worked into my daughter's world. If, you, if my daughter was here right now, what she would tell you is a last three years of high school, we used to walk together. So I need the exercise. It's quite obvious I needed that. She, she wanted to exercise. And, and so we walked. And you know what happened when we walked? She talked. She talked. Uh, she, she's a chatterer. Sarah's a talker. If, if Sarah were here today, she'd probably say, and we, we've had these conversations, she'd say, that, that's the greatest investment, one of the greatest investments that I made in her life. I wish I could tell you, I, I figured that out myself. It's just, you know, we did it. And so we walked. And Sarah would tell you it was a great investment. You know how many words I spoke? In three years, I think I spoke five words. <laughs> Reinvesting in your kids' lives. It's a great privilege. You know, when the Imago Day is shattered, sometimes we back off in there and we become passionless. Watch this dad who figured out how to invest in his little girl's life. Would you roll that? That's a- All three hours, applause, all three hours, women in tears. Why? See, everybody wants a daddy like that. And guys, it's never too late to enter your kid's world. They may be adults. They may be little. It's never too late to do what's right. Start today. And some of you, to God be the glory, man, you are great dads, and I pray you'll keep doing it. The third area where we are passive is spiritual leadership. You know, guys who never pray with their wives, guys who are battled to even get to come to church, guys who won't be part of a community, won't go to a small group, uh, they won't take their wives' hand at night and pray with them, pray over their kids. Uh, I, I mean, l- let me just encourage you guys, do a simple thing, do a simple thing. Take your wife's hand tonight while you're in bed and say, hey, babe, can I pray? And be simple. I, it, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to scrape the theological milky way with all this. You're talking to God and just say, God, thank you for today. And we dedicate tomorrow to you. If you're not doing that already, your wife will dissolve into tears tonight if you do something that simple. And it can take two minutes. And your wife will dissolve in tears. And ladies, if he prays and it's not right, don't correct him. Okay? Don't correct him. Don't, don't do that. I mean, he doesn't need that. He, he's, he's, and, and don't afterwards, after he prays, you're doing that because Gary said to do it. I get that all the time. We went on date night, Gary, because you said to do it. He wouldn't do it unless you said to. At least the brother's trying, okay? At least the brother's trying. Give him a break. Give him a break. Uh, Let's move on. Adam not only fell and was passive, but there's shame. In the fall, there's shame. And it's very clear what that shame is about. 
two things happen. First of all, in verse seven, the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made loin coverings for them. So the, the, and then it says in verse eight, they hid. Then it says in verse 10, they hid. Why do you hide from somebody? You hide from somebody either because you're fearful of them, because you want to avoid them, or because you're filled with shame and don't want to see them. So they hide because they're filled with shame. They know they've done that, which God has instructed them not to do, so they hide. There are two people in the world. There's one God. They're hiding in the garden. Guess who's going to win that game? Okay. I mean, it's simple. God sees them. He calls them out, and, uh, and, and they're filled with shame. Now, their shame also has done something in the area of sexuality. But when we look at the Imago Dei being shattered, that they cover themselves. Up until now, they're naked and unashamed. Now, they realize they're naked, they're ashamed, so they cover themselves. And so when we look at this, we recognize the Imago Dei, when it's shattered, like this piece of pottery has been shattered, what we recognize there's something in the area of sexuality that's been shattered. In six weeks, I'm going to devote an entire message to sexuality. We're going to deal with issues like homosexuality, transgender relationships, et cetera, et cetera, because we're a broken society when it comes to that. And so we'll address all of that on that day. But today, I just want to talk to those of you regarding heterosexual relationships, heterosexual, it's between a man and a woman. First of all, God has created and it's good. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. amen. I heard all men. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Okay, ladies too. God has created. It's a good thing. It's not to be, it's not crass. It's not to be diminished. It's something that God has given us. It's a special privilege. There's no secret that Bev and I have a sexual relationship, a healthy sexual relationship. And I say to God be the glory. He created as a great gift between me and my bride. Once we go outside the bounds of marriage, it's like a fire in the fireplace. As long as it's in the fireplace, it's a good thing. When it gets out of the fireplace, it destroys. And so God has created it so that we can enjoy it. It's created within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. And we'll tease that out and deal with all of that. But in the Imago Dei, the image of man being broken, this is an area where we really struggle. Now, if you have a past, if you have a past and you say, Gary, I've violated that. I, I have been with other people in my marriage other than my husband or my wife. Or Gary, I, I'm involved right now. I'm living with someone I, I, I'm not married to. Or Gary, I, I, I'm, I, I'm sexually promiscuous. I'm single or whatever else. There's no condemnation for those. Those are in Christ Jesus. You have to confess the sin, come before God. So let me talk to my single brothers. How many of you are single out there? Raise your hand. Let me see. You're single. Raise them high. I only got one eye. Okay, high. There we go. Let me talk to my single brothers. That Christian sister you're dating is my sister in Christ. You treat her with dignity and respect. Dignity and respect is a C word. The C word is not condom. The C word is commitment. A commitment to keep her pure before Christ as long as you're together. And I pray that you'll do that. To my sisters out there, how many of you are single? Single Christian sisters, high, raise them high, way high. There you go. I want to talk to you for a second. If you're dating a guy who says, babe, if you love me, you will, you run. Okay? That dude starts putting pressure on you to start having sex with him, you run. That's created for you to give to your husband. You'll never apologize for your virginity, but one day on your honeymoon, you have to apologize if you have been sexually promiscuous. And so I pray that you'll come before God and do that. To married people, scriptures are very clear. This is actually for all people, for this is the will of God. Abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain means not to be involved in. It means not to participate from, and the word for sexual immorality is one word in the Greek language, it's pornea. Abstain from pornea. And some of you are thinking, man, what rock did you crawl out from, old man? Some of you are thinking that right now. You're just an old guy. That is not reality. That's not possible. You don't know what it is to live in a hookup generation where I can get on my phone and go to Tinder. I can go to, uh, I, I had to call Danny, my, our executive pastor, and say, hey man, I'm in my office. I just realized I did something not good. 
I, I wanted to know the names of these things. I, I thought Dolly Madison, it's Ashley Madison, that where everybody got found out last year. Dolly Madison's food, so my mind goes there. So I type in my computer, my office out there, 10 best hookup apps on my computer. And so I called Danny and said, hey, man, I want you to know, I should have called Bev too, I didn't think about it, I, I, but, I, but I texted him, didn't call him, texted him and said, hey, I just did this, it's for a sermon, I got the names on it, I didn't click on any of them out of there, and I certainly put it on my phone, but we, we can do a computer trail here to make sure nobody's in places they shouldn't be. And so, so I texted him right away after I realized what I had done. Uh, foolishly. I mean, I didn't go to any of those sites, none of those places. I can look you in the eyes, I, I can look you in the eye and, and tell you I've never been to a pornographic website in my life, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my desire to protect my eyes, and I, I don't want to lust after a woman. I want to have eyes for that woman only and nobody else. In fact, in, in Job, it says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look, look upon a woman with lust, period. And, and so, hey, you're saying, what rock did you crawl out from under you, old man? Do you know how easy it is for us to hook up right now? I do. I do. Uh, in my office every single week come a parade of people who have this battle every week. And, and I know how easy it is, but I'm calling you to radical purity in an age of rampant impurity. You want to restore the Imago Day? That's how you do it. For my young people over here, you want to restore the image of God in you? It's through salvation in Christ alone. And then it's by living a radically pure life in a rampant age of impurity. That's how we do it. You, you, you live for Jesus in that area. You protect it. And protection sexually is not wearing the right things. Protection sexually is making sure your heart is protected before God. But, but Satan jacked this up. I mean, every husband and wife in here can tell you, hey, this is an area that, that we have had issues over, we've had fights over, we've had problems over. I mean, it's amazing how that takes place. I don't have time to continue on with that. Uh, apparently, I've done something to upset you. Has your bedroom ever been that way? Nobody? Me. Me in bed. Nobody? Yeah. I, I mean, you look at that and realize, man, hey, some of us have messed up royally. And today is a day, really, for some of you, um, you've gotten right with God and you've gotten right with your spouse, and praise God for that. So for some of you squirming right now, you're like the third grader, the teacher's looking at you and hiding behind the heads of the people, hoping I don't see you. It doesn't matter if I see you or not. What matters if God sees you, because you know what? We're all here. You've heard my story. Man, I am shattered. I am broken. This is Gary DeSalvo. But the reality of it is he can redeem and restore everything in the Imago Day. That's the great news of the gospel. So not only did Adam have shame, but Adam blamed. I mean, blamed. When he's called out, what does he do? He said, yeah, God, I'm wrong. It was me. I, I didn't lead my wife the way I should. Now, what did Adam do? He said, it is the woman What's the next word? You gave me. Do you hear Adam blaming? Adam blaming God and Eve. I mean, both of them. And Eve is a, is, is a good learner. She follows her husband. First time he leads and she follows and it's into, into a mess. And he says, she says, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. And so, yeah, Adam finally led. And when he leads, he leads her right into sin is what he does. And we're good at that too. And so what we look at here is we see the blame game begins early on and we begin to blame people for our problems. It's, it's the church's fault. It's the pastor's fault. It's the teacher's fault. It's the policeman's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's my in-law's fault. And, and Adam should have stepped up and said, you know, God, I'm wrong. You had spoken to me. I didn't protect my wife. It was wrong. And there's some men here. You need to man up. You've done some ungodly things. 
that there are people here doing that. Some, some of you are living together. In a room this size, we've we got over 1,000 people here. There are people living together. You know what it means to live together? What you're saying is, hey, I want to try you out to see if you're good enough to marry. If you're a dude and you would have come to me and asked to live with my daughter, you would have walked out the door after I put you on the floor. I sound like Donald Trump right now. I mean, I'm sort of <laughs> tweeting angry messages out. But, but you know what? Here's the reality. Some of us as men, we need to step up and say, you're not going to live with my daughter. And when our daughter goes to walk out of that house, we're going to say, sweetie, I want you to know I love you, I care for you, but it's a foolish, foolish mistake you're making here. Because what that man's saying is, I want to try you out to see if you're worth marrying. And by the way, you've just violated 1 Thessalonians 4.3 that says abstain from sexual morality. And so if you're sitting here and you're living together, let's call it what it is, you're living a sinful life and it's wrong before God. And if you claim to be a follower of Christ, if you don't know Jesus, I'm not talking to you. If you know Jesus, you claim to be a Christ follower and you're living together, go get married. Okay? I I mean, that's what God has called you to do. So that happens. And we're out of time here. The, The curse upon Adam... The curse was not work. In Genesis 3, what we see is that it becomes the toil of work. It becomes the burden of work. It becomes work is not easy anymore. Work is difficult. It's Genesis 3:17. Cursed is the ground because of you. You shall toil in, uh, all the days of your life, and there's going to be thistles and thorns. And so now you live in a place where the Imago Dei ha- has been shattered, but you also live in a place where the earth is not going to be perfect as it was in the creation. And so now life is going to be difficult. And when it comes to work, I see two extremes in men. One, I see lazy men. There are lazy men out there, guys who won't work. Or guys who go to work and, you know, they think manual labor is a president of Mexico. I mean, they're not going to do manual labor. Are you kidding me? That's beneath me. And I'm saying, man, you, you go and provide for your family. On the other extreme are workaholics. And that's men who seek to find their significance in what they do rather than in Christ. And somewhere there's a balance where we do everything we have. We bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We recognize we are broken and shattered men. And because in our broken and shattered men, we can be redeemed. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And we can be restored. And through that reconciliation with Christ, we live differently. The Imago Dei, the consequences of the fall were devastating, but Christ gives us hope. You know, Bev and I are doing a marriage conference, two marriage conferences in February. Uh, this talk is an hour-long talk. We've got 35 minutes. I, I mean, I feel like I've rushed through an awful lot, but I want to make one point. The Imago Dei shattered in every one of us of men, but it can be redeemed, and it can be restored, and we can be men. What's a man? A man is a male who embraces Christ, walks with him, and follows his ways. Timothy, be a godly man. That's a godly man. If some of you have godly men sitting with you today, I, I want you to reach over and give them a hug. You've got a godly man sitting with you. Man, I've I, I beat up on guys today. Um, but, but I also want you to know how important it is for us as men to live a life that honors Christ. I love men in a good way. I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a bad statement. <laughs> I love being with dudes, man. I, I love going to the gym and being with dudes. I love hanging out with guys. I learned how to play disc golf so I could do something with the young guys. I'm so stinking competitive and I need something to do with young guys because I can't run anymore. So I learned how to play disc golf. I go play when the weather's good once a week so I've got something I can do with guys because I can't hit a golf ball. That's not going to happen. But there's something about being a guy. 
good thing when we walk with Christ. So here's how I want to conclude. If you're a guy, I want you to stand up. You're a guy, stand up. This is a trick. <laughs> I want to pray for you, and we're going to go home, okay? So here's how I want to do I, I need, uh, I need guys. Find another guy. Touch, and the ladies, if there's a guy next to you, would you touch him? I need a guy. Chuck, would you come down here? Chuck's my buddy. I, I need a guy to touch me, and I need to touch him. So find a guy. Turn around. Find a guy. You put your hand on him, and he's going to put his hand on you, and uh, we're going to pray together. Father, I thank you for men. I thank you for men who know Christ, honor Christ, love Christ, and live for Jesus. And Father, we don't want to, we're not men because we can bench press 300 pounds or 500 pounds because we can hit a golf ball hunting fish. We're men when we come to Christ and we're redeemed and the Imago Day is restored and we thank you for that. Father, would you raise up godly men from this body to impact our communities and for generations to be impacted for Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Go and live it, guys.